It is Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023. We welcome you to episode 90 of Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. We talk pitching each and every week with the five-time World Series champion, the former Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn, the research ace, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle, our terrific producer, Dan Rourke, is with us as well for the ride. A lot to do this week, guys. David, you are at City Field in Queens for Mets Guardians on Sunday night. It was Verlander versus Bieber. But that was the back end of a doubleheader where uh, Max Scherzer started the first game for the Mets. So did you take in all 18 innings on Sunday, my friend? Uh, not live. No, I watched the first half of the first game you know, before I left my my Manhattan apartment to get over to City Field. So, But I pretty much, you know, I, I, I keyed in. I got a chance to talk to Max Scherzer after his start. And then, you know, I've talked to Justin Verlander before. It's just a historic day when you see those two guys with those with those pedigrees starting. We've never seen it. We've never seen two pitchers who have won three Cy Young awards start both ends of a doubleheader for one team. So it was really kind of history in the making. If you're a pitching geek like we are here, uh, the, it, it was something to watch. Yeah, and it was uh, all the, the great little fun facts coming out about the the, tool, the dual ends of the doubleheader. The, uh, they both have the three Cy Youngs, two guys with 200 wins starting uh, both ends of a doubleheader, which hadn't happened since Tommy John. And Phil Necro with the Yankees in uh, 1986. And most importantly for the Mets, they pitched well. 14 innings, six hits, one run, one walk, and 10 Ks combined in the twin bill. I know this isn't on the rundown here, but guys, are you officially uh, not worried about age creeping up on Scherzer? And I mean, I think throw Verlander in there as well, but are, are you uh, officially uh, unalarmed with those two? Looking at stuff, their stuff is still there. They're both still throwing the mid-90s, and Verlander showed signs uh, of getting stronger like he always has shown in, throughout his career, throughout the start, that he retains his velocity and actually gets a little – creeps up a little bit, a la Nolan Ryan used to do that back in the day. So I don't see any signs at all of, the, of diminished stuff. I think it just, you know – you know, what was the movie? Get him to the Greek, you know, for those, for the Mets fans, it's just get him to the postseason. get those two guys to the postseason, line them up one and two and take your chances. Scherzer's ERA for the season is four Oh one, but that's creeping down. And he, I think he is a guy who deserves the benefit of the doubt. Uh, maybe if, if you're, if you're just trying to think, how's this guy going to do over the rest of the season? So promising signs at a Scherzer and Verlander, you know, he just got back. So uh Got to think that he's he's still getting his feet wet under him, but uh, I think it, it I think the the panic in Queens was a was a little uh, early. All right, we're going to get into plenty around the league. We're going to touch on the Blue Jays as they are in a really tough stretch right now. We're going to also uh, piggyback an interesting article that came out of the Athletic about Madison Bumgarner. We'll look around the AL West. Uh, also, a pair of elite pitchers who may not be performing at that exact elite level at the moment. We're going to talk about them. Uh, look forward to a couple of intriguing series coming up this weekend. We'll get into some Yankee talk as well. But as we do each and every week, David starts us off with a topic that's on his mind in the opener. David, what do you have for us? Well, it just seems, Shaq, that every year we need a reminder of of the nature of pitching in today's game. And, you know, there's there's been talk on the minor league level of experimenting with a rule of tying the, the starting pitcher's length to the designated hitter in, in terms of trying to, to, to try to entice teams to use their starters more and to get them deeper in the games. And it's just becoming more and more difficult to do every year. We see 
starting pitching, dropping like flies. It's hard to find good starting pitching. Seems like every other every other day we see somebody going on the IL with a flexor strain or some sort of an injury. And, you know, it, it just gets you back to how important the bullpens are today. When you're looking at the team's fate, uh, it's the bullpen, stupid. You know, I mean, it's the first place you look. You got to look at the bullpens, how deep they are. Uh, it seems like, too, that it's, you know, the turnover, they, they feel like it's more fungible, so to speak. The turnover rate every year is <clears throat> pretty high across the leagues, but you know the the guys are training better than they ever have. They're gaining velocity. The training with the weighted balls, the velocity training, the pitch design training for maximum effort guys that come in for one inning, two inning max. Those are the guys that are thriving. Those are the guys that you need in your bullpen. Case in point, the Yankees. Well, we'll get into later on, but you look at some of the. Some of the guys they found, Nuggets here and there, whether it's a Jimmy Cordero or an Ian Hamilton or or, or guys like that, um, you know, they really uh, can determine the fate of your season. So it's all, all the way back to the bullpens. They're more important than they ever have been. Absolutely. And you, you look at a team like the Orioles. Their pitching is uh, overperformed, I think, compared to what people might have thought going into the season. And a huge part of that is that relief core. The Orioles are third in the majors on uh, in, in bullpen ERA behind the Yankees and Astros. And you talk about a great find. How about Yanir Cano? Now, there's a guy that that they got last year in the uh, in the Jorge Lopez trade. And now he's one of the best relievers in the game. It's the most volatile position year to year as far as uh, being unable to really completely predict how these guys are going to go month to month, season to season but you can build a bullpen with some real hidden gems. A lot of high priced or high percentage lottery tickets uh, in the relief market these days. And uh, it's, it's ringing true over the first you know month and a half here. James touched on Baltimore, part of an, uh, an electric AL East. Again, every team still above 500. And you have the Toronto Blue Jays who at 25 and 23. They are in last place in the division, but they have also lost five in a row and they're in the middle of an insane stretch and this is a stretch that's over a month long just want to rattle through their schedule here and this stretch began last week started with the Braves the Yankees the Orioles they're currently playing the Rays in Tampa Bay then they take on the first place Twins they get maybe a breather with the first place Milwaukee Brewers then they're in Queens to take on the Mets and then the Astros, the Twins again, the Orioles, and the Rangers. That brings them all the way till the third week in June. So they are in it right now. And we saw all the drama with the Yankees series last week. During the weekend series with Baltimore, Alec Manoa had to be taken out because John Schneider didn't realize that his, uh, his trip to the mound was the second of the inning. Stemming back from last year, and this is the way I feel here, it... it Stems back to the beginning of last year, but what seems to be holding back the Blue Jays from taking that next step toward dominance? Because it seems like they have the core to do so. They certainly do, especially offensively. When you look at that lineup, and they they all have gotten off to good starts too. So I thought, okay, this is it. This is the year for the Blue Jays. But once again, the overall depth of their pitching staff, including down through the end of the of the. The bottom of their bullpen is coming up a little bit short in my mind. You need more pieces. And, you know, back to the point on, on our opener. Yeah, you, it's 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 volatile, as James said, you know, de- dead on, on point as usual. But also it's, it's about 
the numbers. You need more to cover. You know, we, we talk about it every year. Who are your second five starters in your rotation? Who's starters number six through 10, you know, in your organization that might be in AAA or even in AA nowadays? The same on the bullpen side. You got to have, you got to have volume. And it seems like the Blue Jays are caught short a little bit on the volume side and then losing at home is a big deal for them that, you know, the home field should be a big advantage. They have reconfigured the outfield there. Their offense should be able to take advantage of that and score a bunch of runs up there in their home ballpark. Yeah, that, that's a big deal when you have a bad stretch and those games all came at home last week. That That's double trouble for me for the Blue Jays. Surprising that they're just middle of the pack in run scoring with their, with their offensive talent. And Coney, like you mentioned, I mean, they're getting big years out of Vlad, Vladdy Jr., and Bo Bichette and Matt Chapman, some disappointments out of George Springer, but you go to the pitching staff and it looks really different when Alec Manoa goes from one of the best young pitchers in the league over his first two big league seasons to what we're seeing now where he has an ERA over five. His walk rate has doubled and he's in Blake Snell land where he's walking, you know, double digit up to 15% of the, of the batters he's facing. And they've, they've hit on Gossman and Bassett. That's a great one-two punch. And going into the season, you think, okay, you have those guys with Manoa. Maybe Jose Barrios turns around. He's still lost in the woods. You say Kikuchi's been a, a useful um, starter in, in the middle of their rotation, but it's it's just a little thin. I think Manoa's problems are right at the at the top of the list because you you mentioned some of the pitchers that we probably had questions whether or not they would have good seasons. You know, potentially Gosman. Howard Bassett, uh, you know, uh, uh, assimilate to the AL East. There were some main questions with this pitching staff. Alec Manoa was not one of them. So I think, like David said, double trouble uh, for the Blue Jays with their pitching depth, as in I don't really have much. Um, Between some of the other stuff, you know, maybe outside the baselines, I feel like this group has this – us against the world mentality for some reason. And I'm not sure what the genesis of it all is. Um, they were up in arms over Aaron Judge and the Yankees realizing that they they let their guard down. You know, they got so upset last year. I remember when Kevin Kiermeyer stole the card on that play at, at home plate. Like their opponents are pretty much saying, hey, this is what we're doing. What are you going to do about it? And the Blue Jays don't seem to do anything about it. Um I guess the 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 lineup card at at home plate or whatever the catcher had maybe not an equal example but again the the reaction is similar. I feel like they spend a lot of time reacting to the hand that they're dealt that they don't seem like they focus enough on how to just go play the hand. And it's a bad look for a core that's uh that's really talented in my eyes. It's a young team, right? So if if there's an overreaction to petty grievances then uh maybe that's something where uh, a young team would react differently than a, than a team full of uh, veterans. Yeah, that's a great point. And trying to establish yourself in the American league East against, uh, you know, the, the Darth Vader of the league, right? The Yankees, the evil empire that that's uh, that can give you a little bit of a complex in terms of trying, trying to, to make your way and establish, establish your name. So the blue Jays are a sleeping giant. They have the whole country behind them. Their television ratings are incredibly uh, high. They're through the roof. Uh, better than almost anywhere else uh, when they win they have tremendous support so yeah there's a lot of pressure there 
You know, they, they feel like they, you know, they've been coming. The, the, the new stadium renovations are halfway done. Um, they, you know, their owner uh, has all the resources in the world to, to, to provide whatever they need. So, yeah, the time is now for the Blue Jays, and yet uh, they, they're stumbling, and that's when the frustration comes, when there's high expectations. You're expected to take that next step, and then all of a sudden you're losing games, and you're losing games at home in front of your home crowd. That, that That's a tough one. But let's also remember that even with a five-game losing streak, they're 25 and 23. Yes, they're in last place, but they have the same record as the Twins who are winning their division. So I think a lot of the – you saw this too with the Yankees early in the year when they were banged up and they were in last place even though they had a winning record. And there were times where they had a better record than the central leader. The AL East is so crazy good right now that – a three-game winning streak, a three-game losing streak, or a stretch where you win six out of seven or lose six out of seven, you can turn the whole standings upside down. More Toe on the Slab is coming up, but for all the men out there, I need to tell you about a way you could step up your skincare, and that is something that the earlier you start, the easier it is to maintain, and Caldera Lab is here to help you raise the bar with your skincare. This company creates high-performance men's skincare products by combining pharmaceutical-grade science along with nature's purest and most potent ingredients. You want to go the all-natural route, believe me. Caldera Lab is backed by a leading clinical trial where 9 out of 10 men experienced healthier and visible improved skin. Caldera Lab has tools to unlock your best first impression and confidence. One of the main things that the females notice first is a man's skin. The Regimen Bundle from Caldera Lab, a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Inside this bundle, you're going to find the Clean Slate. It's a balancing cleanser that uses gentle plant-based cleansing. The moisturizer is called the Base Layer. It's a nutrient-defense-fortifying moisturizer, huge on hydration for the skin. And then the Good, their go-to at night before bed and a clinically proven multifunctional scrum that helps your skin look tighter and smoother as well as to help reduce visibility of wrinkles and fine lines, talking about the creases uh, underneath your nose, the crow's feet by your eyes, the wrinkles on your forehead. You want to take your skin game to the next level. You could do it with Caldera Lab. Look no further than the icon as well. It's the serum for your eyes. It is here to address the, the three most common skin concerns around the eyes, like we mentioned, the, the crow's feet, the fine lines, and also you want to eliminate those bags, the dark circles, the puffiness underneath your eyes. We have a great code for you. It is SLAB. And if you enter that at calderalab.com, you will get 20% off your order. That is 20% off at calderalab.com by using code SLAB. Unlock your youthful glow and be ready for summer with Caldera Lab. All right. There was an article, guys, uh, in The Athletic that came out on Monday by Zach Buchanan, and it centered around what led to the divorce between the Diamondbacks and veteran pitcher Madison Bumgarner? And to kind of just sum it up here, you have a, a pitcher who has a lot of miles on his arm and sort of distanced himself, and there was a resistance for him to change his approach in order to maybe offset the aging arm. And he was resistant to changes that were provided to him from the Diamondbacks team pitching staff felt like he wanted to kind of do things his way. Almost at times, it sounded like he was doubling down on what uh, it took to get him to that point. 
to the highest points of his career with the Giants. And eventually the Diamondbacks said, all right, we're going to let Madison try and figure it out on himself. It obviously wasn't working. They decided the best way uh, to to go about it was to split amicably. Everybody has great things to say about Madison Bumgarner, but the approach is something that they had a big disagreement over. So we know that no one's really... Uh, I don't know if maybe there, there have been phone calls to Madison Bumgarner, something that we don't know for sure. But if you are a team giving a call to Madison Bumgarner, based on what we learned in this article... What are you saying to him if you're potentially interested in bringing him ab- aboard on your squad? Well, I think it would have to come from a voice of reason and somebody he trusted. So maybe somebody like Bruce Bochy in Texas, who has a significant history with him and would allow him to speak his language, so to speak. You know, we know really from reports out of Arizona that they are a very progressively run team. Dan Heron, the former pitcher, kind of helps with their scouting reports or is the pitching coordinator, so to speak, and comes up with detailed scouting reports, both for the pitchers and the catchers. And the catchers wear those wristbands. You know, we see it around the league that they're kind of re- uh, referring to throughout the course of each individual at bat. That's sort of a script for catchers to follow in terms of pitch calling. On certain counts against certain hitters, here's your choices on pitches. If you deviate from that, you will – you will be second guessed after the game by your pitching coordinator or by whoever runs that department will come in and say, you deviated 16 times from the suggested signals that we, you know, or the pitches that we had suggested for you. Why did you do that? And that's something that goes against what at Madison Bumgarner is all about. He would not thrive in that kind of a situation, a very progressive uh, modern approach to pitching. He's as old school as it gets that's part of the problem in the, in the, in the article, obviously, and his, his ability or willingness to adapt, to try different things, to throw different pitches, to be open-minded. Did he give up too soon? We don't know, but moving forward, it's gotta be somebody that has an old school approach. And when you look at Texas, you have also Mike Maddox there as well. So that's the kind of tandem that can talk or speak Madison Bumgarner's language, develop some sort of trust with him to give him another shot. But, Secondly, he's still going to have to make adjustments. He's going to have to show something different because his his velocity and his skills and the quality on his pitches has diminished. I would think of one name, CC Sabathia. He was someone who was a star pitcher who had lost velocity and had degraded into one of the worst regular starting pitchers in the game from say 2013 to 2015. But He reinvented himself and from age 35 on from 2016 on, he had, he was an above average starting pitcher and he was consistently going in 150 innings a year. And he was the anchor of an up and coming young Yankee team. The, the start of this baby bombers era in 2017, he was the ballast in the rotation there. And he was someone who, you know, kind of learned on the fly. It took him a while, but he, saved his career because the thing that's going to end up getting him into the hall of fame, I think he'll end up in Cooperstown isn't necessarily the, the Cy Young's and the world championships. It's that stretch where he was still able to be good until age 38. And he was able to hit milestones like 250 wins and 3000 strikeouts. He defied, he bent that aging curve a bit and he was able to reinvent himself. Now one uh, stretch from the, uh, from the article, which uh, I do recommend is, as Shaq, mentioned uh but as his velocity and command began to dip 
Strom, Brent Strom, the uh, pitching coach from Houston, and the organization pushed Bumgarner to use the cutter far less and boost the usage of his curveball and changeup. Bumgarner, whose sources say became obsessed with regaining his fastball velocity rather than adapt to the pitcher he was in the present, remained unconvinced. That uh, it's not surprising to hear uh, Madison Bumgarner be stubborn like that, but it's got it, it has to be that open mindedness and thinking like this is how I can be more of a pitcher as your skills and velocity degrade. That line stuck out to me too. James being obsessed with regaining his fastball velocity, uh, all the math and the science is pointing toward that not happening. So uh, yeah, I thought of CC Sabathia's turnaround as well uh, before him, Andy Pettit, obviously we're in that, uh, you know, Yankee prism here. So we're seeing a lot of things through a pinstripe prism, but those are the two names that, that jumped out to me. Uh, as well as uh, examples where where Madison Bumgarner probably has the ability to to turn this around. Uh, I, I think uh, David hit the nail on the head, and I was at a loss for a team for a while until David mentioned Bruce Bochy and the Rangers. So maybe that does make sense, and we'll see if uh, Texas does, in fact, give uh, a guy like Madison Bumgarner a call. Speaking of the Rangers, in first place, they are clinging to first place at the moment due to the red-hot Houston Astros. But what we are seeing in the AL West is some of the best individual starting pitching performances of this young season. So it leads me to the question of who is the best starting pitcher in the AL West right now? Wow, that's a tough one, you know, because there's a new entry. I'm a huge fan of, of Seattle's overall pitching staff, really top to bottom. And some of the some of the best stuff is going on in Seattle. I don't know if you've seen this kid Bryce Miller throw yet, but wow, he's he's something. He, I, I think he's a a potential game changer for them to give them the overall depth and their rotation that they need. Uh, man, that's you still got to look at Shohei Otani and what he does, and just as the unicorn as somebody that's just he's it's such an outlier. He's so talented that we're still kind of processing what we're watching with this guy year in and year out. So it's hard to bet against Shohei Otani, but. You know, uh, watch out for some young entries up in Seattle there that that uh, are going to have something to say about what happens in that division on down the stretch. I'm going to go with Otani, and that's not even counting his bat. He's, <laughs> I think it's almost where he's this unique part of his um, his game. Kind of, you kind of lose how great he is just as a pitcher. So I'm going to stick with the Shohei there, but. This is a great exercise because there are so many great starting pitchers in that division. Luis Castillo in Seattle, Framber Valdez in Houston. You go with two other guys on those staffs. You could go with George Kirby and Christian Javier. It's mm -hmm. it's great pitching top to bottom. How about you talk about the first place Rangers, Nathan Avaldi with his recent scoreless streak? Yeah, I think uh, that that accentuates like the right now part of the question, Nathan Ovaldi's resurgence here for, for the first place Rangers, but you're right. And it's, it's so strange because it feels like such a tough decision yet. It, it also feels like Otani's the slam dunk choice. So I probably in, in not wanting to go against the great Otani, uh, you know, pick him. But if I had to go with a, you know, a one double a really close, probably at this moment, uh, Framber Valdez, with the Astros, he kind of just, you know, like, like a lot of these pitchers, he just goes out and posts each and every time. And I'm not saying, again, like the others don't, but feels like there's just been like zero doubt that he 
will be the arm that you could count on every single turn through the rotation since the start of last season. So for the fact that he's done this in a very large sample size now, I think for me probably puts him above the rest, just a slight amount, uh, but right in back of Otani all the same. So this is a, this is a tough question. I don't think there's any right answer here. It's a matter of preference, a matter of choice. Uh, but yeah, you definitely don't want to go up against uh, Shohei Otani. Uh, speaking of other aces here, over toward the National League, you have Corbin Burns and Sandy Alcantara. I don't want to say pitching below expectations. I mean, Alcantara probably is uh, more so than than Burns, but they're just not at their elite levels that we're accustomed to here. I'm wondering which team needs their ace to return to that dominant form a little bit more. Is it the Brewers with Corbin Burns or is it the Marlins with Sandy Alcantara? Off the top of my head, I got to feel like it's Corbin Burns in Milwaukee. You know, their their division in the Central's up for grabs. You know, Miami's Miami's got to play in in, in a, a tougher division in the National League East with, with several contenders up and down. Sandy Alcantara, when you think about the World W, the World Classic, the World Baseball Classic, he really expended a lot of injury and uh, energy in the, those games. He was throwing ninety nine miles an hour his first start. I'm not sure if that had an impact or not, even though it wasn't from a quantity standpoint, a lot of innings or a lot of outings, but you talk about boy, high intensity pitches that he threw in the month of March, about halfway through March, but that, that makes me, it makes me a little suspect with him. Uh, maybe he needs a little bit of a break, miss a start. Maybe the all-star break recharges him a little bit, but with all that being said, it, it, it's gotta be Corbin Burns at, because Milwaukee's the team that should win that division and and they can't do it without him at the top. And they've had some issues too with the depth, the overall depth of their rotation as well. So they need him even more than ever before right now. I like that pick Milwaukee also missing Brandon Woodruff. That's a big absence now Burns. Yeah. He hasn't been at a, you know, Cy Young type level, like he's been, he gave up five runs in his last start, but overall a three, nine, seven ERA isn't that much cause for alarm. You look at Sandy. Now he's had some blow up games that, that really inflate the ERA, but he has a five Oh five ERA. And you look at where the Brewers and Marlins are. I'm a bit more of a believer in the Brewers to win the central, to make the playoffs or what have you. And so that's why I think I'll go with Alcantara because I feel like the Marlins, they're on the fringe as it is, let alone in the East, but more as a wild card contender. And I think that I, they're toast without Sandy being at his best. So I'm going to go with Alcantara there. Yeah, I want to I want to say the Marlins because I want to give them a shot. And they've had a, a, you know, a nice surprising start around a 500 team. And it's an uninspiring National League so far when you think about the expanded playoff landscape. But Look, their offense needs to be to, to be doing better. Alcantara is not going to solve their lineup issues here. They they aside from rise, they they really don't hit a lot. Uh, and if they stay the way they are offensively, it probably won't matter that Alcantara is bringing things like his his walk rate, his line drive rates down. So uh, yeah, for me, it's the Brewers. Milwaukee's five and five in the starts made by Corbin Burns. Like James said, the there, there's not so much alarm here. I think he's, you know, pitching. Uh, 
I don't want to say average, but you know, 3.97 ERA is not something to be ashamed of for sure. Uh, his walk rate is higher than normal. He's been giving up more fly balls, which I may, you know, perhaps has led to, to more home runs. I know the Astros tattooed him the other night. Uh, if, if Corbin Burns is healthy and elite while the rest of the pieces in that Brewer rotation may not be, that still might be enough for Milwaukee to grab the NL Central. So yeah, it's a lot to ask for a guy who's who's been elite for a few years now to, to continue to be elite. It obviously takes a strain on your arm. That workload has to catch up to you at some point, but that's just kind of how thin the margin for error is in the NL central. So I'm going to go with the brewers and, and Corbin birds there. Um, yeah, you look at, you look at the, their fielder independent pitching, which, mm-hmm. you know, is another layer to peel back to see exactly what the pitcher's doing by himself. Corbin burns FIP 4.82. Uh, Sandy's is 3.5 and 3.5 range. So when you, you're trying to sort of, okay, who's really doing what here? Corbin Burns is the guy who's giving up more home runs, more walks, more hits this year. That 4.82 FIP is a little bit of a little bit of a, you know, a, a red flag out there. And that that's something that he can control. You know, Fielder, you know, as, as James know, Fielder independent pitching is set on the scale to ERA. So you can compare and it's just what the pitcher does. Home runs, strikeouts, walks, and hit batters. You know, just things that are completely in the pitcher's control. Sandy's better than you think. For Burns, the home run rate has ticked up, but uh, it is a little alarming to see his strikeout rate go from about 30% last year down under 22%, which is even below MLB average, which is very much unlike Burns. So we'll uh, just something we'll have to have to monitor Moving forward, and one quickie thing on the Marlins. You mentioned the the offense, Shaq. I'm just curious. What is the best batting average for a guy who played for a team that was dead last in scoring for a season? Because the Marlins are 30th among 30 teams with 3.48 runs per game. And that's with Luis Arise hitting 383. You're probably going to have a potential batting champ be on a team with arguably the worst offense, which is <laughs> wild to think about. <laughs> Yo, what's up, guys? Producer Dan here to let you know that with the baseball season in full swing, DraftKings Sportsbook has got you covered for all this season's action. And right now, new customers can place a $5 bet and get $150 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, everyone can hit one out of the park with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Join the big league action now on DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app and sign up with code SLAB. New customers can bet just $5 and get $150 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code SLAB. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050. Or visit gamblinghelpline.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY. Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. All right, guys, we have a lot of uh, intriguing series this week, but I'm looking toward the weekend here. There are two in particular that get the juices flowing here. Dodgers raise, obviously... Very intriguing. I believe that's happening in Tampa Bay at the Trop. So Dodgers raised there. And the Rangers and the Orioles piqued my interest. Uh, which weekend series you think will tell us more about the teams in those two series? I haven't seen the pitching matchups yet, but the Dodgers are calling up their their super prospect and Bobby Miller. Cannot wait to see him throw. 
upper 90s fastball, four pitches, all of them potentially above average. You know, you think, you know, I don't say that lightly. You know, a major league pitcher, a starting pitcher, if you have two pitches that are above average and then a third pitch that's average, say a changeup or something of, of that ilk, you're in pretty good shape. So when you start throwing around four plus above average pitches for this kid, that, that, that's something to watch. So I, I'm not sure if he's pitching this weekend or not. I know he was just called up. So he's a guy I got to see pitch. Bobby Miller, love to get him on the podcast at some point. Uh, but as far as the overall series, the up and comers kind of intrigued me. Baltimore's the story. The Orioles, are they for real? You know, we've seen this come. We saw them make a big leap last year, and we're like, okay, are they going to level off this year? They're going to keep coming. They are. They have tremendous talent, a young nucleus of talent. James mentioned the back end of their bullpen with Cano and Bautista. Baltimore's a team. I mean, they play the Yankees this week and then this weekend. With each passing series, it's like, wow, you know, this this team's not going away. So play, play in Texas, I mean, that might be a good read for them too. Two teams that are up-and-comers and, comers and uh, that have high expectations. So I, I kind of got to give them the edge, although I got to see Bobby Miller pitch. Well, Miller is making his major league debut on Tuesday in Atlanta against Spencer Strider. So there's a juicy pitching matchup for you. Now the Dodgers do have an off day on Thursday, so – he might be able to pitch on Sunday or do they just give everyone an extra day and then Miller misses that race series at the trop. We'll see how that shakes out as, as the week goes on, but uh, I'm going to go with Texas and Baltimore too, just because you know, it's it, they're, they're new teams they are new up and coming teams. And it's a good test because you think, well, how for real is Texas? Are they going to be able to, how much longer are they going to be able to hold off the Astros? This is a good test for them. And the Orioles, they had, they racked up some wins early they took advantage of a soft schedule. Well, now they've been playing a, a much better caliber team lately. They won two out of three against the Rays. They just swept the Blue Jays in Toronto. They have three games at Yankee Stadium, another good test here. So this is a, a big stretch for them. A six-game road trip in Toronto and New York, three for three so far. And then they come back home for the Rangers starting on Friday. So it's going to be a really interesting series to see how these two measure up. I'm with you going with the Orioles Rangers. Uh, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in what the Orioles are doing. And I don't think there will be much of a drop off the rest of the way. And there's one reason for that. Adley Rutschman is the second best player in this division next to Aaron judge. So you're going to have Rutschman and judge in the same series this week. That's my opinion. And I'm, I really believe that as long as Adley Rutschman is a healthy player and producing at the level, I guess that's expected of him now, the Orioles are going to be in playoff contention pretty much his entire career. Like that's how much I think of Adley Rutschman. Um, he is their Buster Posey. So I am a firm believer in what the Orioles have done. I feel like they're for real. I'm more intrigued to see how the Rangers go about facing this type of team because just glancing at their schedule, I don't know if the Rangers have necessarily caught a team, an opponent when they're, uh, in a in a heater so to speak like they, they they saw the yankees at a weak point they may have faced the astros um and and they want i know they want a series at houston but the astros didn't get off to such a a blazing start so i'm wondering how the rangers respond here against a team that's playing really well with the fact that you now have the astros breathing down their neck so i think we're going to learn a lot about the texas rangers that's what i'm intrigued to see here this weekend how the rangers go about facing the orioles yeah, Seager's back too. They're shortstop, which mm -hmm. is a big deal for them. And 
great player uh, in the middle of their their order. Degrom's throwing bullpens. He's not back yet. Now that that's going to go a long way, obviously, to towards Texas's future and how much how much he can give the rest of the way as well. But Seager's a really really big part of their lineup in the middle right there, and having him back helps a lot. All right, let's get to some of our Yankee chat topics here, guys. Um, over the weekend, Yankees swept the Reds. They're facing the Orioles here this week, but I feel like they pulled off an important Band-Aid uh, over their recent road trip. They went 6-1 and one on a seven-game road trip. They DFA'd Aaron Hicks. What did we learn about the Yankees after they parted ways with Hicks with three years left on his deal? What we found out is kind of consistent uh, with Brian Cashman's philosophy. If there's a better option out there, if they weigh all their pieces, they go through their process, and they they make a determination that the trade for Greg Allen for Aaron Hicks made their team better because of Allen's potential speed uh, element added to the to the lineup, pinch running, defense, switch hitter. They just felt like he, at this point in their careers, that Greg Allen was a was a more viable option for what they needed on their roster. And even though Aaron Hicks had started to swing the bat light, you know, better over the last week or so of his tenure, I think overall speed plays, the athleticism plays. Greg Allen sitting in AAA with 23 for 23 stolen bases and uh, I think a 780 OPS plus in AAA. Uh, that, that guy needs to be in the big leagues. And even though it was Boston – Yankees had to give up a, a, a really good young arm, an 18-year-old uh, that, that's got really good stuff. You know, it's hard to project 18-year-olds uh, by the time they get to the big leagues. But nonetheless, the Yankees gave up some quality in order to get Greg Allen. They wouldn't have done that if they didn't feel he was an upgrade. That was their process. That was their determination. And Greg Allen's made an e- immediate impact just with his athleticism. And uh, it's nice to have that kind of uh, – athlete on the bench if you're Aaron Boone because he can do a lot of different things play all over the outfield pinch run switch hitter the Hicks move was just a matter of time really right guys so um whether it was this weekend or down the line when someone like Giancarlo Stanton gets back creating that roster crunch I've long been a, a Hicks defender uh, I think he never got his just due when he was had several good years with the Yankees from 2017 to 2020. He was a top five center fielder in the game. And people think I'm crazy for saying that, but he was fifth in home runs. He was fifth in on base percentage. He was fifth in slugging. He was fifth in war among MLB center fielders over a four year stretch, even with some missed time. So as good as he was, then the last three years have not been good. And he really drew the ire of the fan base. Some of that I think was unfair like getting booed during the baseline intros on opening day. But at the end, at the end of these three seasons, since 2021, a 209 batting average, a 625 OPS, an OPS plus of just 78. It's not going to cut it. And I think it was, whether it happened this weekend, a week from now, or two weeks from now, I think it was just, uh, it was inevitable that this is how it was going to go. I want to bring in Dan Rourke for, for some fan perspective here, because uh, a lot, a lot of what James just said, I agree with, Uh, you know, I don't think, Anyone should be booed on baseline intros during opening day. I feel like the Yankee fan base in recent seasons, they're always, you know, they, they there's someone on their mind where they want blood from <laughs> at, at all times. And I, I like I as soon as they parted ways with Hicks, it felt, it felt like a, a portion of the fan base was like turned their attention to her. OK, who's next? You know, who's next to go? Like, I don't know if you necessarily should be operating that way, but I am in lockstep with you, James, for a time. 
you know, before 2020, Aaron Hicks was one of the best center fielders in the game. I remember there was a time where, like, I know he led off a few times, but I was like, man, I'm intrigued to see, like, what would the lineup be like if Aaron Hicks was batting second? Like, that's how good of a player he was at one point. Dan, do you think it's lost on some Yankee fans that Aaron Hicks was once that good of a player for this organization? Yeah, I think people do forget. I mean, even like you were saying, James, at the time they forgot too. I mean, I always would go back to in 2018, Aaron Hicks finished, I believe, second in war next to Mike Trout. And I would always say, okay, that means he's what? The second best center fielder in baseball. He really was for a good while. And, you know, I was calling for the DFA of Aaron Hicks. It was quite obvious it was time to move on. But, you know, once it happens, the deed is done. So I was kind of past like dogging on the guy and looking back, you know, he had some good moments, some, some big moments, you know, even going back to last year, the three and homer tied up against Houston. I think in 2019, his homer against Verlander in ALCS game five, one of the more badass moments I can remember in recent Yankee history. And we thought the dude was done for the year pretty much. And then all of a sudden comes back, hits that big homer and, you know, some weird shit's not going on. Who knows what happens in that series? But yeah, I think it, it was obvious for, for them to move on. I want to actually give credit more so to, to Hal Steinbrenner because, you know, there was an article I think that came out last week mentioning how, you know, money's not going to be a factor. If they can put the best team on the product, like that's what they're going to do. And between this, between, you know, not so much with the money thing, but putting best team on the field, you know, the Volpe decision as well. A lot of things are going on in the past year that if there's an issue with the Yankee front office that the fans have, I don't think it should be anything to do with Hal Steinbrenner, really, because I think he's at, he's doing his part. He's putting you know enough money into the team. He's not letting you know money be the reason why he doesn't put the best product on, on the field. So props to him. I wonder if maybe the same thing happens with Donaldson towards the end of the year. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, to answer your question, I think definitely people miss or like undervalued Aaron Hicks, but I also think it's reasonable with how how bad he's looked over the last three years it's not like he just had a, a slight drop off i mean he was pretty bad so i get it from from both sides yeah i think it was a move that had to be made i think it was only a matter of time hicks kind of you know admitted to it at the end he's like i understand it's a business you know now i need to move on to the next chapter he also said you know uh he loved being a yankee it was the best part of his career but the writing was on the wall there and yeah but between between Bringing Volpe up for opening day in a move like this, where they're still owing a lot of money to a player and cutting ties with them, I think those are two big examples of, uh, you know, from a fan's perspective, like, oh, this Yankees organization is operating just a little bit differently than what we've become accustomed to in recent years. So they're doing the necessary moves for this team to have the best 26-man roster, period. And I think Greg Allen's addition, again, makes this... uh, this lineup rotation a little bit more multidimensional. So um, yeah, I, I, th- I think obviously it was the right time to, uh, to part ways with Hicks and, uh, and we move on. Um, David touched on the bullpens around the league in the open, in, in the opener, just the, the markets for relievers. There's a lot of promise involved there. When I take a look at this Yankee bullpen on the stat sheets, you have seven different relievers having saves this season and we're in the middle of may right now so you mentioned some names david but overall what has made this bullpen group this season so versatile well i think you you hit the nail on the head shack in terms of you talk about teams have been gearing this way for a long time uh, at least analytics departments have, have geared this way of um 
you know, a, a three run save in the ninth inning can be a bit overrated against the bottom of the order. And that we've been move, moving towards this sort of high leverage uh, situation. Use your best assets and the, the identifying the, the best time to use them, the high leverage spots, use your best assets. If your best relief pitcher comes in in the seventh inning with the first and second, nobody out, that might be the best time to bring him. The game will be lost. If you wait for him, to pitch the ninth inning that might not never come. And the Yankees probably more than any other bullpen in the big leagues right now have adapted to that modern usage uh, mentality. And even they're using that term terminology amongst themselves, the pitchers themselves of, you know, they're trying to identify the best high leverage spots for clay Holmes in Toronto. It was first and second in the seventh inning and nobody out and he gets out of it. Uh, the next night he might pitch the ninth inning. They've got these interchangeable parts that is really the envy of every analytics department in the big leagues over the last 10 years. This is what we've been talking about. This is what we want. Uh, you need the, these guys to be able to, to fill multiple roles and to have a, a day off a day of rest and be able to plug somebody else into that high leverage spot. And the Yankees are, uh, they have that better than anybody. Um, in my mind, Wandy can close the game. Marinaccio can close the game. Obviously Michael King can close the game. The list goes on and on. And then on the front end, they've incorporated that that starter, that opener strategy with Cordero. I think that is the next level stuff for them. They can do that moving forward, even with Clark Schmidt in, in certain situations. They can use an opener strategy with Jimmy Cordero, who's upper 90s, heavy sinker, heavy slider. If you've got a right-handed dominant lineup at the top of the order, Jimmy Cordero is a perfect opener for, for the Yankees. So they are well-positioned moving forward to get the most out of their bullpen that they possibly can with interchangeable parts and high leverage spots. Coming off of the off day, going into the start of the Orioles series, the Yankees have a two eight seven bullpen ERA best in the major leagues. They're third in opponent average. They're sixth in opponent slugging. They have the highest ground ball rate and they're sixth in homers per nine top to bottom. This group has been fantastic. Even with injuries, this is, this is a team that, doesn't have Jonathan Loisega for most of the season, and they haven't missed a beat. Even Clay Holmes, who has drawn a lot of ire uh, for, for a couple of uh, shaky games earlier in the season, he's been great over the last few weeks, nine and a third scoreless innings over his last nine appearances over the last three weeks. Nine and a third innings, 13 Ks, only three walks. So he, it looks like he's cleaned up the control issues he had early in the year. And yeah, he was getting saves, but... During this stretch, he's been pitching a lot in the seventh and eighth inning. So you have him coming in. I think the unique ability of Michael King and to an extent Ron Marinaccio to go multiple innings if needed has kind of opened up some other things. Teams, not just the Yankees, teams have been really mindful of pitching guys back to back, tracking that, making sure guys, if, they, if a guy goes multiple innings, maybe he gets one or even two days off the next day. So if you have games where you use Michael King for two innings and then he's out for a, a, at least one day, maybe two, then that kind of says, all right, well, who's available today? Who isn't? And these moving parts, when you have eight guys in a bullpen, who's high leverage, who's low leverage. And this is every team has to deal with it this way. The Yankees are navigating it very well. Yeah. A lot of people want to point fingers at coaches and managers when it's not going right. I think you need to tip your cap to Aaron Boone and Matt Blake for guiding the, the bullpen management the way they have over this stretch. And again, you could look at this schedule. This bullpen is producing, and they're kind of doing it on fumes here. The Yankees have four 
off days between opening day and June 1st. I mean, they have four off days in the first two weeks of June. So they are literally pitching on fumes right now. And and Aaron Boone and Matt Blake, they're pressing all the right buttons. Obviously, the relievers are posting the results and doing a great job in this difficult time. They're picking one another up. Uh, low leverage guys are sometimes forced to pitch in high leverage situations and they're coming through. What they've been able to do with their availability or limited availability at that based on the schedule that they're forced to play through over the first two months of the season, I think is really remarkable. And that's why I feel like there's even even higher promise as we move along here this summer. Agree, because they're going to get more guys back. Tommy Canely on, on the on the men going to be back. And then by the end of the year, you hope Jonathan Loisega comes back. So, yes, I mean, if you look at it, if you just want to say, okay, you, you set a check, high leverage, low leverage relievers identified. Uh, the Yankees have five high leverage guys right now. If you think about it, King, Wandy, Marinaccio, Holmes, and Cordero are all considered, you know, a seventh inning on. You got a spot. You'd, you'd feel comfortable using any one of those five guys. So if you get Canely back, you're getting healthy. You start thinking about the Yankees might have the most high leverage or the best core of potential high leverage guys. All right, guys, reaching the end of the episode here. We're going to land the plane. Uh, one final thought. David, where are you going to be at this weekend for Sunday Night Baseball? Uh, we're going to get Spencer Strider in Atlanta. Ooh. So we get to go down to Atlanta and, and see the Braves. So we're, we're, we're pretty excited about that. Who are they facing up? Who are they facing? Um, we are the Phillies. Phillies and okay. the Braves. So it should be a good. We don't know uh, exactly what the pitching matchup is on the Philly side as of yet, but uh, we know through the grapevine, through Buster Olney, who does a great job for us there on the, uh, on the reporting side, seems like we're going to get Spencer Strider Sunday night. That's enough for the marquee right there over Sunday yeah. night baseball, Spencer Strider and the Braves uh, in action against the Phillies. So we'll be sure to watch David there along with Carl Ravage and Eduardo Perez. That is going to do it for this episode, guys. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a beat on what we are streaming each and every week here on Tell in the Slab. For David Cohn, for James Smythe, for our terrific producer, Dan Rourke, this is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week on Tell in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Take care, everybody.